What's up, Lions of Liberty fans? You can now support this show on Patreon and get exclusive access to bonus audio and video content, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, bonus segments with guests, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, Felony Friday is the show where each and every single week I focus on exposing injustice in this country's broken criminal justice system. This is one of three shows we have here on Lions of Liberty. Uh, the other two shows, the first one kicks off every week on Monday. It's hosted by Mark Clare. It's our flagship program, our longest-running program, where Mark interviews leaders in the libertarian movement, and he hosts roundtable discussions. Every Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land, hosted by Brian McWilliams. It is your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty. Very entertaining show. And to get all three of these shows delivered to your listening device, to your feed, to your earbuds, just be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. Just scream at your Alexa, which is probably recording everything that you're saying because the CIA has all the records to your Alexa. They probably do. They probably do. So be careful with your Alexa, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, anyway, you can still use it to listen to the Lions Liberty Podcast. All right, so today's episode, very important episode. It's a uh, milestone episode. This is the 150th episode of Felony Friday. So that means the show notes you can find at lionsofliberty.com slash FF150. And this is cool, man. I mean, I never thought when I started out with Felony Friday that I would have 150 episodes. I didn't think I would have 10 episodes. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So it's incredible to think back, you know, I was thinking back earlier this week about all the people I've interviewed, all these stories that have been told over these past 150 episodes, and it's just remarkable. I'm truly honored to be a part of it, and you know, I, I don't know. I'm just going to keep keep pushing, keep going, and keep uh, keep bringing people on to share their story. Today's episode is another great story. I'm excited for you guys to get to know Kevin Matthews. Kevin, uh, is, he's in uh, out in Colorado, in Denver. And we're going to be talking about legalizing psilocybin mushrooms, magic mushrooms. How is that happening? Well, what are they doing out in Denver to make this happen? What's the chance of it happening? It's a really, really important episode, really, really important topic with a wide-reaching uh, benefits uh, you know, throughout the country and throughout the world. So this is big-time stuff, guys. So be sure to, um, if you do want to share this episode, of course, you can share it many different ways on our, on our webpage or the, the video uh, version of this with you'll be able to see Kevin and I uh, talking back and forth. That'll be on YouTube and you can find that quickly by going to the show notes page at lionsofliberty.com slash FF150. Also, you can just go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash lionsofliberty. Be sure to click that bell in the, uh, the top of the frame there to uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's it, guys. Let's get rolling with today's show. My guest today on Felony Friday is Kevin Matthews. Kevin is the campaign director of Decriminalize Denver. 
And Kevin is collecting signatures right now with the intent of getting decriminalization of psilocybin mushrooms on the ballot in Denver in 2019. Kevin, welcome to Felony Friday. Hey, John, thank you so much for having me on your show and the opportunity to share our work with your audience. This is great. Well, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. You know, I heard about Decriminalized Denver pretty recently, I think maybe two, three weeks ago, had a uh, libertarian friend reach out to me and say, hey, you got to check out what uh, this guy's doing out in Denver, Kevin Matthews. And, uh, you know, I hadn't heard of, I don't, I don't think any other uh, cities or communities or states or anything like that are really approaching decriminalizing psilocybin in this manner. So just kind of wanted to start it out, start out down that path, talk about the petition itself, the, what, the, what the goals are, where that came from, and then maybe later in the podcast we'll get into your own personal motivations and your personal j- journey and some of that stuff. Let's, let's just start out with that. So how did Decriminalize Denver come about? What was the catalyst? Uh, what, what got you started? Well, you know, like all great things, it started out as an idea. Um, my involvement with the campaign goes back to kind of late December 2017. Um, I had actually just heard about the initiative that was at the time in California um, and was very curious about that and, and just happened to meet the right people at the right time. And uh, we went through a couple different iterations of the language with the city and county of Denver and Denver elections. And um, basically, I kind of ended up being picked as to be the guy to run the campaign and was able to build a pretty amazing team of individuals here in Denver to, to both advise on policy and, and legal matters. And, and here we are today. It's been quite a wild nine months. I'll say that for sure. So, so what are the the current laws in Colorado and within, you know, obviously within the county and within uh, the city of Denver around psilocybin mushrooms? What, if you get caught with them, if you get, if you get caught growing them, you know, all of the above, what's the what's the scenario? What what kind of trouble are you in? Sure. So, throughout the entire state, it's actually under state statute that psilocybin is criminalized as a Schedule One substance. Um, just like the, the federal, the federal laws around, around psilocybin. So, um, really any amount that you're caught with is considered, um, a a potential felony. Um, and of course it varies, uh, depending on, on how they determine intent or if you're looking at distribution to sell or things like that. But for the most part, uh, it's a schedule one felony to be in possession or to even use psilocybin in, in Colorado. And, uh, in Denver, Denver defers to the state authority there. And so with our initiative, uh, we've managed to uh, really craft a language that in, in many ways um, makes Denver a sanctuary city to use uh, psilocybin mushrooms. How does the language, how do you guys do that within the, within the language for the bill? Yeah. So first of all, uh, very similar to some of this original cannabis legislation back in the mid 2000s. Uh, Denver was the first city in the country to essentially decriminalize cannabis for adult use. And so we we use that as a model to craft our language. And so first of all, psilocybin under what we've written will be considered a lowest arrest priority, which is pretty commonplace among a lot of these decriminalization initiatives, whether it's for cannabis or other substances. Mm -hmm. And then we went a step further. And another section in our language is 
uh, defunding the city, so preventing the, the city from using any of its resources um, to actually prosecute any individuals who are arrested for psilocybin in the city. And so there's some precedent there with a cannabis initiative um, at the federal level, which was for, for hemp, that we went ahead and, and, and put that in there. And then what's, what's unique about our language is that uh, Denver is considered a sanctuary city when it comes to immigration. And that's under chapter 28 um, in the Denver ordinance. And we placed our initiative um, right beneath the section where essentially it states that city officials don't have to cooperate with law enforcement when it comes to immigration. And so right beneath that section in, in the Denver code is our, our initiative to decriminalize psilocybin. And that's considered the human rights chapter in Denver. So yeah. Yeah. So this would then be something that other cities could then take and implement themselves, right? Sort of take it state to state, city to city. It could be something um, absolutely that's used as, as a model moving forward in, in other municipalities. Um, I think, you know, Denver is well positioned because we have a, a very strong history of drug policy reform mm-hmm. um, and, and using Denver as really the, the first city to, to decriminalize psilocybin, you can absolutely take the model that, we're, that we've used that we'll be successful with and apply it to other, other jurisdictions as well. And that's, um, you know, hopefully the goal down the road here is um, when we when we do succeed in May to be able to take the momentum that we've gained and and start this work in other in other cities as well. So this will then be a ballot initiative in May or what's what's the process here? How many signatures did you have to get? Oh, all that stuff. So it it will be a ballot initiative. And uh, Colorado is one of the I think there's 23 states in the union that allow for citizen initiated ordinances to change the law. So in, in Denver, the whole process is you, you craft up some language and then you turn it into the, the Denver city council. And then the Denver city council basically has some time to come up with their own questions to ask for clarification and for our intent. And so we did that. And then once we went through city council, then we, um, the language gets pushed on to the Denver Elections Division. And the Denver Elections job is to make sure that um, essentially the, the language isn't confusing to voters and um, that it kind of lines up uh, in terms of the, the legalese, for lack of a better term, and that it, and that it makes sense where, where we've decided to, to put it in the, the Denver Code. So um, that process, we've, we, we did that three times with our campaign. Our first mm-hmm. submission was in March. And our second submission was in May. Both times we were we made it through city council and then were, were rejected by Denver elections. And that's when we decided that we need to get a little bit more help with this and bring in some legal advisors and yeah. uh, really craft something that would be um, not only acceptable to Denver elections, but also uh, palatable to the people of Denver. And so we were approved by Denver elections to start collecting signatures on it was uh, October 10th of this year, and um, we had our, our volunteer training a week later, and we've been collecting signatures pretty much ever since. And we, need, we, we do need it's, um, approximately 5,000 signatures from registered city and county of Denver voters to qualify for the ballot. Okay. Well, that doesn't seem too bad. I mean, that's a, a, a reasonable number, I, I would think. I don't know. Yeah, um, it's, it is reasonable. And, and we've been going at this for three weeks with a, a pretty small handful of volunteers. 
really, really only about seven or eight of us who've been mm-hmm. really dedicated to this. And so far uh, yesterday, we just hit our 2,500 signature mark. Oh, nice. And um, the goal here is to get about 10,000 so that um, if any of those signatures that we do gather happen to be invalid, um, then we have a little, a little bit of breathing room there. So we now have a volunteer force of over 25 people and uh, essentially our whole outreach campaign is is mapped out to um, make our voter contact and get those signatures in the next eight weeks. Nice. Yeah. So what sort of response have you gotten? You going out talking to people, going to different events in the community? Yeah. Have you gotten anyone... Uh, you know, spitting in your face and saying to, to get out of here with it, or has it been pretty, pretty positive? It's been overwhelmingly positive, John. Um, we've had very few people react in that manner where, where it seems like they're offended by the fact that we're actually mm-hmm. out there doing that. I can really count um, on us just on with one hand, how many of those we've had. Um, and, but overall it's been extremely positive. Um, most people, um, most people say, yes, of course I'll sign that. Um, you know, cause we, we do emphasize that our, our main role here is to keep individuals out of prison, um, and to also make psilocybin more accessible or more safe for people to use, especially our veterans, uh, people who are suffering from, from PTSD and anxiety. So people seem to be very receptive. Uh, we did have some scientific polling done for our campaign, uh, back this summer, and this is actually, it's it's a 45% support rate, and then with uh, a 20% margin of people who are a maybe. And so we're looking at potentially uh, 65% of Denver voters who might say yes to this. And the really exciting and, and a little bit surprising aspect of that specific poll was that uh, these were phone calls to individuals who still had landlines in their homes. And not many people have landlines anymore. I don't think I know anybody with a landline. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, like um, that just, it, it bodes well. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's really on us to make sure that we're, I mean, this is really a, an educational campaign. Um, a lot of the no's that we've had and even some of the fence sitters is simply just a matter of individuals not being educated about um, the potential of, of psilocybin to, uh, really have an effective as as an effective treatment option for so many things that are plaguing our culture right now. Yeah, and I definitely want to talk about um, those treatment options. But first, I just want to say, you know, I think it's it's really smart what you guys have done by really sort of meeting people where they are and bringing it to them. You know, as a way, you know, to, first of all, to help. You know, it's a public safety issue, so you're trying to make sure mm-hmm. that people are able to get help if they need it, veterans and whatnot. You don't want People end up in jail for for selling you know, mu- mushrooms, so stuff, stuff that you can grow. Just ridiculous to lock someone in a cage for something like that. But at the same time, I mean, you're not approaching them in the way that I've seen libertarians do this, where people who really haven't even thought about it this way before, but you approach them as, well, it's, it's, not, it's not the government's right to tell people how to live their life or what to put in their body. I mean, you don't want to just cold approach someone and shove a paper in their face and say, sign here. It's not the government's right to tell people how to live their life. People, you know, that, that scares a lot of people off, I'm sure. So I'm kind of curious, what, what kind of led you guys down that path to, you know, was there any, have you guys had internal training on how to approach people or what's the best way to really get this to succeed or what, is there any story behind that? 
Yeah, well, um, some of our, our campaign advisors have experience in this whole ballot initiative process. But really, you know, psilocybin and, and psychedelics in general are, are obviously such a sensitive issue to people. Um, I think because there's been, what, 50 years of basically government propaganda around uh, around their use and around their effects. And so, you know, individuals have this this almost programmed sense in their mind that these are dangerous um, and that they shouldn't be, they shouldn't be used or tinkered with. And, and so thankfully, you know, in many ways, a lot of our messaging has, has relied a lot on, again, this clinical research, like that's very important to our campaign. Um, But mostly, well, additionally with our campaign, looking at, um, you know, what, what are, what are people going to resonate with? And so public health and safety is a big aspect of that. Mm-hmm. And, and really, honestly, it's been, uh, it's been just, just a, an, an experiment to see what works and see how people respond. It took us about three weeks with our boots on the ground to figure out how to approach people. Um, and, and the idea here is to keep it very, very, like very simple. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not our job to debate anybody right now. It's simply our job to, to get a signature. You know, once we, uh, make the ballot and we start campaigning. And then of course we'll be having these deeper discussions about, um, you know, all these public health and safety risks and the, and the, the clinical aspects of it. But really it's just like, Hey, um, you know, are you a city and County of Denver registered voter? Uh, will you, will you sign a ballot petition to decriminalize psilocybin mushrooms? Sometimes we say magic mushrooms, just depending on, um, depending on the environment. If we're at a venue and it's, like a like an electronic music or or jam band scene that will lead with magic mushrooms, um, but people in Denver are you know given the, the whole cannabis scene um, are pretty they seem pretty aware of, of a lot of these drug policy issues, and um, you know it it is it's very much on our campaign to make sure that our messaging reaches people and so um, you know veterans are a big thing people definitely. Uh, resonate with that. And we are working with a veterans group called Veterans for Natural Rights, um, headed up by Matt Kale. And and then also we have drug policy advocates and drug policy reform uh, professionals. And so it's it's fun because in many ways, our campaign, it's it's broad reaching across both sides of the aisle. And these are issues that, that um, a lot of people can stand behind. Uh, veterans on one side and and drug policy reform keep, keeping people out of prison on the other side and it seems to be working for us where we can kind of meet in the middle and and share about it so you talked a little bit about the uh the clinical research that that's being done and i think the first i heard about research being done into magic mushrooms psilocybin mushrooms i i listened to the tim ferris podcast Have you, you ever listened to tim ferris you're familiar with him i do Mm-hmm. I think yep. that he somehow was involved in, you can correct me here, you probably know more about this than I do, involved in initiating some of this funding. Is, is that correct? Was, and, and he, he was raising funds for, I'm not sure if it was MAPS. Uh, MAPS is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think he was raising funds for Johns Hopkins University. Uh, yeah, I want to say back in 2014, and I think he's still raising funds for them. And it, it's cool you bring that up because that was part of my initial interest in this a couple of years ago when I okay. started researching researching this for myself. But yeah, he 
he's been a very outspoken individual in terms of uh, furthering the clinical research. Um, and it's something that, you know, these research organizations have to rely on the, the donations from individuals. They don't, they don't get government grants or government funding to continue their work. And so uh, in that sense, it's been really incredible just, just to see a lot of these, some of these more high profile individuals coming out and not only sharing this work, but uh, devoting a lot of their time to, to raise money for it. It's pretty incredible to see it, it happen. It's, it's really fascinating because it's uh such an interesting time we live in today where, you know, someone like a, a Tim Ferriss or, I mean, there's a bunch of other podcasts out there that are, you know, like that. They're more, uh, the hosts are into, uh, I guess, biohacking, things like that. And they get this big following and they bring all these people together, but it's, it's so powerful. I mean, there's millions of people that, that can get behind this. So you can really move policy just with, a podcast, which is which is crazy to think about. Um, when you go back even ten years, that would be unheard of that you know right. something like that could happen. Thanks. So it's it's so cool, and you know it, it makes me really hopeful for, for the future when I see things like that. The cannabis industry has rapidly expanded. For those liberty lovers who want to take advantage of this growing industry, they've been met with a flood of government taxes and regulation. A lot of cannabis companies would just love to hire a full-time CFO, but that could be super, super expensive. But what if you could have the knowledge and experience of this full-time CFO at a fraction of the cost? If you're in the cannabis business or you plan on entering the fray, then you need to schedule a free consultation with the Grow CFO. CFO, Rachel Kennerly. The Grow CFO will help to maximize cost of goods sold deductions by employing accrual and cost accounting, creating tax savings and improving cash flow. They will keep your books in an audit-ready state. If you or someone you know is either already in the cannabis industry or thinking about jumping in the fray, go to thegrowcfo.com and schedule a free consultation today. And just to dig a little bit, little bit into the clinical research that's going on. Can you just give like a, you know, a high level overview of, of some of the things that are being researched right now and uh, sort of what's the, what's the path forward? Absolutely. So right now there's an organization called uh, Compass Pathways and uh, Compass Pathways makes um, good manufacturing practice, GMP certified, <clears throat> excuse me, psilocybin for research purposes. <clears throat> and they, just recently received a designation from the FDA called breakthrough therapy status. And what that means is that it, it, it essentially pushes uh, research for psilocybin to the front of the line in terms of, of the FDA and the government kind of to bypass a lot of that red tape. And the FDA doesn't actually hand out breakthrough therapy status that often. Um, to my understanding, in fact, the last time they did that was, I want to say back in 2016 for MDMA. And so that, so the research with Compass Pathways right now is looking at treatment resistant depression um, and, and psilocybin as an effective treatment option for that. And so those are phase, those are phase two trials right now that are continuing with that. Um, and then there over the, over the last uh, decade, um, there've been a number of clinical trials, mostly conducted through Johns Hopkins University um, also NYU and uh, I want to say Harvard, UCLA, some of these big research universities in, in the U.S. Um, and some of those studies are well, a, ver a very big one that was conducted by Johns Hopkins 
was uh, looking at psilocybin as a treatment for end-of-life distress and anxiety. And so individuals with terminal illness or cancer patients who um, are have a lot of anxiety about the fact that they're they're going to die, right? And it's the the results from those studies were, I mean, nothing short of miraculous. There's an, an incredible documentary called um, it's called Psilocybin: A New Understanding. Uh, for any of your audience who wants to research that and and get a more in depth look at that specific research for end of life patients, um, but that was really the biggest one in many ways that brought psilocybin much more into the mainstream. Um, it's also been seen as an effective treatment for treating alcoholism and for treating uh, tobacco addiction and, and also as um, um, treating cluster headaches, which is something I didn't really knew was a big thing for a lot of people in, in, in our country, but apparently a lot of people suffer from cluster headaches. And is that like so, a, a migraine or what? I've never heard that term before. Cluster. You know, it's, it's like, from what I understand, it's a, it's a rapid onset, um, kind of like a migraine, a rapid onset headache. It's extremely painful. Um, that could be brought about by anxiety or distress or, or other things like that. But psilocybin is an option for that, which also um, <clears throat> goes to show that it could be used potentially as a, as a, treatment, option, as a treatment option for pain in general. Um, and so that, that's really exciting. All that stuff is extremely exciting and very relevant to our campaign. Um, we're working actually, we have a, a, um, a friend of mine, a friend of ours who is one of a handful of people in Colorado who's actually currently prescribed psilocybin under the federal right to try act that Trump just signed into law last summer. And he has tumors all up and down his spine and in his brain. Um, and he has multi-symptom PTSD. So PTSD is as a result of, of many different traumas that have occurred in his life. And he's been working with the same psychiatrist for over two decades, the same medical team for um, over a decade. And his psychiatrist went out on a limb and decided to see if psilocybin might be a good option for him because nothing else was working really. And he's been taking psilocybin since, since March of this year. Um, he takes one and a half to two grams every seven to 10 days and also has the option to do a little booster dose for him if he feels like he needs it. Um, is that is that spread out over the days or is it? No, no, he'll, he'll just do a one and a half to two gram dose one time. So basically once a week, he'll do that. Um, and then potentially like a little, a little booster dose if he feels like he needs it. Um, but his entire medical team is, is completely blown away to the point that they're starting to document his progress now wow. because um, the change in his behavior, his outlook, um, um, his whole perspective on life shifted nearly overnight. And, you know, that's, it's still a little bit of a great territory because he has to source it himself. Um, and, you know, there's a whole bunch of other risks there because it's still a schedule one substance, but he's another example of, of an individual who, um, is not only prescribed psilocybin by a psychiatrist, um, and not not like a pill form. He he eats the raw fungal material. He'll, he'll just and he has to source it himself. He has to source it himself. Yeah, huh. he has to source it himself. Um, whether he purchases it purchases it from somebody or, or grows it himself, he has to source it himself. Um, 
the really cool thing about that is that he gets to be in charge of his own protocol though. Mm -hmm. Um, in many ways, his doctors are a little bit hands off and, and just observing, um, and just really keeping track of his, of his behavior and his, his, his mental health, but it's been, um, incredible for him. Yeah. So there's, yeah, you know, wild. it's wild, right? Yeah, it's really wild. <laughs> wild. <laughs> Excuse me. So with our campaign, you know, we, we hope to, at, at the very least set a framework where we can not only uh, continue more of this research because more research needs to be done. Um, you know, in, a, you know, in addition to all of the amazing clinical work that's been done, there's still a lot more research to do because we still don't fully understand psilocybin. Um, we know that it's physiologically safe. We know that it's not addictive. Um, it won't harm your body. Um, you know, and we have all these amazing clinical benefits, but there's still just more work to be done, more research to be done. Um, and in cases where, like my friend, um, he needs safe access without needing to look over his shoulder to, um, you know, out of, out of fear of criminal penalty or something like that. Yeah. So, or, or getting associated with a, a shady character by having to make a black market deal to, uh, to procure exactly. that, you know? Exactly. So absolutely. Yeah. So let's uh, we have a little more time left. I want to hear a little bit about your your, your own backstory. You know, sure. you, you don't just wake up. Well, maybe some people do wake up one day and decide they just want to dedicate all this time to uh, decriminalizing psilocybin. But yeah. so so what's what what's your story? What's your what's your backstory with uh, magic mushrooms? Yeah, um, I was a cadet at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point for three years. Um entered as a plebe in 2005 and left in 2008 uh, due to major depression. So I'm actually retired um, with an honorable discharge from the U.S. Army for major depression. And I spent my entire life wanting to attend West Point and be a career military officer. And um, it's really the only thing that I knew for well over a decade from when I was about nine years old until I got in when I was 20. Um, and it, you know, for depending on, on how you might look at it, it might sound classic or, or cliche, but um, my world fell apart after I left the Academy. And so I was, I was left with this idea of, you know, who am I? What am I doing with my life? <clears throat> and this is, this has been, I mean, it's been a decade of growth. Um, mushrooms have been extremely impactful for me. And I'll even go as far to say that they've, they've, they've saved my life. Um, I'm not your typical psychonaut. I'm not the kind of guy that's going to go, uh, you know, party every single weekend and go to dance shows and, and eat a bunch of mushrooms and, and, and trip all the time. Um, but it's something that of the experiences I've had in my life, um, it's, they've been able to, to give me a new perspective and a, and a new, um, a new outlook on, on life and really in terms of depression, uh, create a new framework for um, just approaching the world and understanding that um, I have a lot more power and control over my own life than depression led me to believe that I was a victim to, to my circumstances and my environment. And um, psilocybin actually helped me uh, break out of that, that paradigm for myself and start creating something new. So when I Left the academy. It was a number of years that I was floating around, and then got a little bit involved with, um, say, kind of transformational community out here in in Colorado and in Denver. And there's there's a very strong undercurrent uh, subculture of 
psychedelic use in Colorado. Um, I would argue the entire country actually. Um, but I just, you know, it was something that I was very careful about and, but also very interested in. And uh, it's just, it's something that I, the, the experience has been so profound and so powerful that I, I always carry it with me. And so when the opportunity came to even just be a part of the conversation to uh, decriminalize mushrooms in Denver, I, I was all over it because uh, I've heard, you know, I had a lot of friends who benefit, benefited from it. And now that I've been working with the campaign, I get stopped constantly when I'm collecting signatures and people are just like, man, mushrooms have saved my life. It saved my marriage. It's, um, you know, I'm a better person today because of mushrooms. And, um, and sometimes these are people that you would not expect to hear that from. And so it's been, it's been quite an adventure. And um, in many ways, I, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I have the opportunity now to apply uh, to kind of, to kind of bridge two worlds. I, I get to use the skills and the training and, and the um, kind of expertise that I got from my time at the Academy, um, you know, very military, more kind of conservative focused and, and now working, um, you know, and then being a part of this uh, kind of transformational culture. Um, so being able to bridge those two worlds and create something that could have um, a really genuine and lasting impact in Denver uh, is, a, is a great start. Yeah, in Denver and then maybe eventually across the United States. So, you know, I, <clears throat> I'm really glad I got the chance to have you on and, and to talk about this because two passions that I have, one being – you know, criminal justice reform, reforming these, you know, these terrible laws that we have in this country that lock people in cages for these for nonviolent crimes. Um, but also, another passion of mine is natural supplements, natural medicine, you know, finding ways to, to heal, heal yourself without using chemicals and, uh, and things like that that are, you know, not made, that don't come from nature, that, that come from being manipulated by, uh, by human hands. So, to be able to merge those two things and, and to talk to you today, this was a really cool episode, and I'm, I'm really glad that uh, that our mutual friend connected us, and uh, really looking forward to seeing where this goes, man. All right, Kevin, just uh, just just one more question for you, one more one more ask. Could you please let my audience know where they can learn everything about Decriminalized Denver, Facebook page, website, how they can volunteer, how they can donate, all that good stuff? Thank you. Yeah, thanks, John. So our website is uh, decriminalizeddenver.org. And we're on Instagram and Facebook at Decriminalize Denver. And um, every Friday for your audience who's in Denver, every Friday uh, from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. We'll be at The Collective, which is uh, downtown on 20th and Lawrence. Um, and then, uh, yeah, on the website, you'll find all the opportunities where you can get involved, where you can donate to the campaign. Um, and definitely follow us on social media because that's, that's really our main our main outlet right now where we spread information and and get the word out. So thank you very much. All right, Kevin. Thank you very much for coming on. Appreciate it, John. Thank you. All right, guys. That is a wrap for today's episode. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kevin Matthews. Really, I don't think you can really overstate how important uh, this work is that he's doing with Decriminalize Denver and his team there, all the volunteers that are out there getting signatures to get on the ballot to get psilocybin decriminalized uh, in Denver. Really, hopefully, can be used then as a template to be used across the country. Uh, just such a powerful, natural 
um, way to heal, way to medicate, way to uh, for people to find some some peace and really uh, <clears throat> really find a different way to to heal what ails them. So, or just have fun. You know, people people like to take magic mushrooms to have fun too. So that's that's out there as well. Um, guys, you know, I just want to thank everybody. This is the 150th episode again. I'm so just I talked about it at the top a little bit. But I would not have done 150 episodes. I wouldn't have done 50 episodes. I would not have done five episodes if I did not get so much support, so many emails, so many people messaging me on Facebook, giving me so much love and appreciation for doing this podcast, for doing these interviews, for talking to people, for sharing these stories. Uh, It really, really means a lot to me, the amount of people that have reached out to me over these past three years. It's just been, it's incredible. It's humbling. And the only promise I can make to you is I will keep doing it as long as I keep hearing from you. And I mean, the best way, my favorite way to hear from you guys, I think Mark and Brian agree, you know, they are working their asses off too with their shows. But I mean, the favorite thing, the the best thing we like to see to to somebody to, to show appreciation for all the hard work they were putting in is to join our Patreon group. Go to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty and just subscribe for as little as five dollars a month or if, if you're feeling if you're feeling good about it you're, you know you have a little extra money laying around up uh, 10 or 15 or even 25 it, it means so much to us and all of that money is going right back into this show to help us expand the show advertise get more people listening to it get better equipment it's i mean it's all so important so we thank all of our current subscribers we've had a lot of you guys with us for a very long time and it means so much it means so much guys this is support that we've had from you, and we literally could not do this without you. So thank you from the bottom of our heart. The reason we do this is to advance the ideas of liberty. The reason we do this is to expand individual liberty for not just us, but for future generations. So this is a team effort. This is why we have our Lions of Liberty Forum to, to build that community, which you can join on Facebook by typing Lions of Liberty Forum um, in face in uh, the, the bar search bar at the top. And I know we should probably look for a different different forum than Facebook because we could be kicked off any minute, but that's a discussion for another day. So yeah, just be, become a part of our community. Join in. We're having a lot of fun, guys. And thank you so much for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. For the 150th time, always remember to keep your head up and the fire is the liberty burning.